Well, hey, listen, if you're joining us for the first time, we've been in a series, a three-week series, and we're going to wrap it up this morning called Generous. And um, before we dive into any of that, I want to just go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that this morning we have an opportunity, God, to hear your word, God, that we can sit here freely in this building and talk about your name, and God, that people would come to know you. God, I pray that no matter what culture, what socioeconomic status we come from, God, or wherever we're at in our life, God, I pray that you would meet with us today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you have not met me yet, my name is Pastor Zach. My wife and I lead the church here. And uh, if you don't know a little bit about our church, we are one church in three different locations. We've got a campus in Jennings that started about 16 years ago, and then a campus in Eunice that started about uh, eight years ago, and then we started this church about eight and a half months ago. So... Um, it's just been so incredible to be here. Uh, when we got here, we knew absolutely nobody. And so just to see what God has done in such a short amount of time. And so we are so privileged to be able to lead this church. And honestly, more than anything, we're so excited to see the stories that God is unfolding in people's lives here. I said it last week, but I just can't stop saying it. We've seen over um, 75, close to 80 people receive Jesus and, and gain salvation since we've been here at this church. So that's incredible in the past eight months. Yeah, you clap for that. Um, July 5th, we're going to be baptizing people for the first time, which is, go I'm telling you, is going to be an experience. Um, I would strongly encourage you, if you've come to know Jesus within the past eight months, definitely take that step. I know it can be nerve-wracking, and it can be all these things, but I promise you it's going to be worth it in the end. It's going to be something that you will not regret. So, hey, listen. This whole series, we've been talking about the topic of um, our finances and that God has called us to be a generous people. And I've stated over and over and over again that sometimes when pastors step on a stage and they talk about money, it's like old water. It simply doesn't mix. And there's all these red flags that continuously go up in people's mind. Um, but if you've been with us for the past two weeks, you've known that it's nothing like that. That really what we're looking at is we're looking at Scripture. And we're looking at simple, different things, and God is actually calling us to look at our lifestyles, to look at our habits, to look at our spending, to look at our money, and to say, how can we be a generous people, and ultimately, how can we be good stewards with what God has given us? Because ultimately, what you buy into, what your money gives towards, what you, whatever you do with it <coughs> speaks to what you really value and what you really treasure here on this life. So if we're generous and we're a generous church, and we're a generous people, then you're going to have a broken, lost, and dying world that is going to come to know Jesus simply by one act of generosity. I gave the example last week of my wife and I sitting at Waffle House eating, um, and that's where all good food goes to die at Waffle House, but if you have little kids, that's where you go. So we're at Waffle House, and um, we're eating, and the bill's probably $20, $25, somewhere around there, and the, the lady did a really good job, so we just left, left her a very generous tip. I think it was like a $45 tip. And through that, um, what's crazy is just through one simple act of generosity, we begin to see God begin to work in this lady's life. We go back in, and the lady's crying. She's so, showing the receipt to everybody. And you can just see that in a moment, it wasn't me just talking about Jesus. It was backing it up with my actions. And people begin to see something different. And so really through this series... That's what we're calling people to. I think the gospel demands, and I think the gospel calls us to a lifestyle of generosity. 
Um, it speaks so much more volume, and it carries so much more weight when people decide to step out of their comfort zones, decide to make a little bit of sacrifice, and say, you know what, I don't only believe in Jesus, but I'm going to show you that I do. I don't just claim to know Jesus, but I'm going to show you, and I'm going to back it up. So, this morning, um, we're going to be wrapping this up, and I've titled this High Stakes. Um, high Stakes. And I really believe that this topic on finances and, and God calling us to be a generous people in a generous um, church is of high importance and of high value, and we can't take it lightly. Um, to be honest with you, a lot of us, and we've said this, it's been a theme all throughout the series, that a lot of us choose to serve God in many other ways, but we fail to serve God with our money. We fail to serve God with our finances, and, and a lot of times it's because money is security, right? Um, you feel good when you've got money in the bank account, and there's nothing wrong with that, or you feel good when you've got certain things, or when you possess certain things, it makes you feel good. There's a false sense of what you have and what you're holding on to is security. And in reality, we, we, we learn throughout this series that ultimately we can't take it with us. But here's what I'm going to get at um, to you this morning is simply this. Generosity has to become a part of what it means to follow Jesus. It has to become a part of what it means to follow Jesus. And I don't know if you've learned this about money yet, but money has power to bring you great sorrow or great joy. Money can bring you to places that you never thought that you would be. Because you're chasing this lifestyle, you're chasing this idea, you're chasing the dollar bill, and you sacrifice relationships, you sacrifice character, you sacrifice all these things in the process only to gain another dollar. Or if we steward our money well and, and the resources that God has given us and we decide to be a generous people, it can bring us great joy because we understand that what God has given us is meant to make an impact on the world around us, in our neighbors, and in our church, in our workplace. It's a totally different scenario. Money is a lot like a powerful narcotic. And if we're not careful, we're constantly chasing the high. It's a lot like a powerful narcotic. And if we're not careful, we're constantly chasing the high. It can be used to ease pain temporarily, right? So maybe you feel like a lack of joy. Or maybe you feel like a lack of happiness. And because you feel that, you go out and you purchase something. And so temporarily, it gives you peace. Temporarily, it gives you that, uh, it fills kind of that gaping hole in your heart because you've got a new car, you've got a new, some new shoes, or, or whatever it is, it feels that temporary emptiness. And then what happens? Two days later, like, you buy some new shoes and then you scuff them. If you're like me, that, that always happens. I buy new shoes and I wear them out like in three days. Or you get the new phone, you, you get the upgrade, and then what do you do? If you're my wife, you drop it in the toilet. <laughs> And constantly there is this thing in culture and in our society that says when you get something new, it's not enough. You need the other one. And then you get the other one, and it's not enough, so you get the other one. And it keeps going. It's just this perpetual cycle. So money has the tendency to bring great sorrow, or it can bring great joy if we steward it well. But God also warns us of the spiritual dangers of money. And so let's read in 1 Timothy 6, chapter 6 through 10. I mean, chapter, verse 6 through 10. It says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. We could just stop there. We could just stop there. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And this, he goes on to explain it. 
For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these things we will be content. So we can just we can end the message there, and we can just all go home, because this speaks so powerfully to our culture and to us today. And he's saying, listen, if you have Jesus, food to put in your mouth and clothes on your back, that's enough. But so many of us buy into the lie, including myself, writing this sermon, writing these past few messages of my life. It's like, I don't even want to preach this because of the fact that it's been speaking so much to me and some things that I need to repent of and things that I need to make right. Because to be honest with you, there's times when I look at my own life and I'm not content in just having Jesus. I'm not content in just having Jesus and claiming that he's enough. I need more. I buy in. I've been discipled by culture. I've been discipled by the culture that says you've got to have bigger and better. And then we keep reading. It says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains or with great pain. So the warning is to be very careful. There's a danger all around, and Paul uses extreme language here. So the rest of the scriptures that we're going to read on this topic, we're going to see Paul use explicit words. He's going to throw out some warnings that he wants us to grab hold of, and he's going to use language to hopefully grab our attention. It's kind of like that grandma that you had, and when she said your middle name, y'all remember that? Like, when she said your middle name, like, when my mom said Zachary James, I'm like, I'm getting it. It's over. Now she's going to wear my butt out. I think that's what Paul's trying to do to us. He's trying to say, hey, listen, I want to use some explicit words because I want you to understand how much this has the ability to affect your soul. How much, if, we're, if we don't steward our finances, if we don't understand that everything that God has given us is for a reason, for a purpose, to bless people around us, then we can get caught up in chasing things. We lose our soul, we lose our relationships, we lose many things in the process. And these are extreme scenarios that Paul's going to present to us, and I want you to know that the dangers are real, and oftentimes they can be unseen. Like they sneak up on us. Sneak up on us. Because here's the truth. Your life in chasing the dream may not start out in destruction, but it will end in destruction. So you can say, I just want one more dollar. I just need X amount. I just need to get this raise, and then I'll be happy. I need to live it. this lifestyle, then I'll be good. Or I just need to get this, and then I'll be good. And in the process, what we don't realize is because we desire to be wealthy because we desire to have something so much we run people over in the process we lose relationships we break down marriages we lose families we lose relationships with our kids all because we're chasing stuff now here's the truth i think what we do as christians is we become really good at this right we like to soften the words of the bible to say you know what paul doesn't really mean that right we kind of like to soften the blow. I don't know if you ever read history a little bit, but Thomas Jefferson, when he became president, he started reading through the Bible, and there was just things in the Bible that he didn't like. And so he actually went in, and he tore out certain passages, 
He marked out certain things, and then he had the Bible completely repented, uh, reprinted to fit what he saw fit. So he threw out certain passages like, I can never attain that, or I can never live up to that, so I'm going to throw that out, and I'm going to write my own Bible. And I think as Christians, a lot of times, that's what we do. We read these words, and we say, it can't really be true. It can't really be true. But the greatest sorrow and destruction we can have is primarily spiritual. See, when we're chasing money, as we learned a few weeks ago, we cannot serve God in money. When we're chasing it, this is what happens. We miss out on Jesus. We miss out on Jesus. So the thing that really matters in this life, we end up missing out on it. And the greatest sorrow in this life is to have a heart that is numb to Jesus, his love, and his friendship. You ever just find yourself, you wake up in the morning and you find yourself at a place and you're kind of like, how did I get here? How, how did I get here? Like, what happened? I, I, I said that I would never be here and now five years later I'm exactly what I said I would never be. You ever grow up and maybe you're a little kid and, you're, and you say, you know what, maybe your parents um, mistreated you or abused you. And you say, you know what, I'll never be like them. And because we end up getting on this track where we're pursuing what we think success is, 7, 10, 15 years later, we're exactly the very person that we said we wouldn't be. And you see, that's what happens when our heart gets numb and it grows cold to Jesus. We begin to turn off those things. And let me point you to something. Wherever you're at right now, the only way out is through Jesus. The only thing that we have is Jesus. It's Jesus. So, so listen, you can make this um, fantasy of a life and say, you know what, if I have this and I have that, then I'll be happy and then I'll serve Jesus. Listen, you can't afford that. It's drop everything now, and the thing that I love about the gospel, and the thing that I love about Jesus, is it doesn't matter where you've come from, what you've done, what your past looks like, how much you screwed up. You decide to make a decision right now, today, in this moment, to give your life and your will to Jesus changes everything. There's nothing that this world is selling you that is going to fix the holes in your heart. And ultimately, riches are dangerous and deadly because they feed the illusion of our rebellion. Riches feed the illusion there is life, meaning, and happiness away from God. If I can just have stuff, I'll be happy. It feeds into that lie. I had this house, I had this car, I had this whatever it might be. And then we get it. And then we ask ourselves, why am I not happy? Why do I feel depressed? Why do I feel empty? The truth is, riches make you think you can find life, joy, and everything you want away from Jesus. To be honest with you, many of us, and I'm going to read it in a second, but many of us are the rich young ruler. Many of us. And I don't know if you know the story, and so I'll read it. It says this, And the ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So a guy approaches Jesus and said, Jesus, what do I have to do to spend the rest of my life with you? And Jesus said to him, 
why do you call me good? And I always found that, that passage interesting because uh, the, the, the rich young ruler is basically going to Jesus and he knows that he's God. Because Jesus is going to say this. He says, no one is good except God alone. So what he's saying is, I know you're God. So he's asking him this question. You know the command. So Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, this is the rich young ruler's response. All these things I have kept from my youth. So he's saying, hey, Jesus, listen, I'm good. I can follow you. I've done. I've, I've, like, I've got the checklist and I've checked them all off. I'm good. And Jesus says this. When Jesus heard this, he said, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And I want you to notice something. I was reading this this morning, and you can always, I'm about to read this verse, and it's going to make sense. I've always read this passage and said, oh, that's just for people that are, you know, overly wealthy. I want you to notice something. Jesus is about to address every single person in this room. And I think we fail to see this in the passage. It says, those who heard it said, then who can be saved? They didn't point to the rich young ruler and said, well, Jesus, how is he going to be saved because he's extremely wealthy? Jesus is addressing every single person in this crowd. He says, but he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. So let me break down what we just read. You have a young man who's extremely wealthy. He comes to Jesus. And he says, hey, listen, how do I inherit eternal life? So Jesus walks through all the commandments. He says, listen, I've kept all these things. And then Jesus says, hey, listen, everything that you have, I want you to give it away, sell it, and come follow me. And he's filled with great sadness. And in that moment, it's not that his money was bad, it's not that his wealth was bad, but in that moment, we see what he truly values. That when Jesus calls him to lay it all in the line, he can't do it because we really find out what his God is. It's not that what he had was bad. It's not that Jesus is saying that you can't be wealthy and you can't have money. But when he calls us to give, we really find out who our God is. We really find out what we treasure and what we value. See, in that moment, his discipline couldn't save him. His discipline to save his money couldn't save him. Jesus called him to do something, and he couldn't be obedient because we found out what his God was. And in this moment, instead of Jesus running after him, he decides to, to say some strict words. He says, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. So having wealth is not sinful, but when Jesus calls you to give it all, it will determine what you truly value. And when we read this, we try to soften the blow, right? I'm not that person, so that doesn't really apply to me. We want to soften his words because honestly, we're the wealthy people. I don't know if you know this, but if you go to, uh, and I found it yesterday, if you go to globalrichlist.com, it's a really cool website. You should check it out. Globalrichlist.com. You can enter your salary. And when you enter your salary, it gives you a comparison to every single other person in the world. Okay, so I found out yesterday that what I make in one hour, <laughs> it would take 60 days for somebody in Indonesia to make what I make in one hour. 
So in about one minute, I can make enough money to buy, you know, like two six-packs of Coke. It would take them 60 days to do the same. So even by making only $23,000 a year, you are in the top 2.5% of the wealthiest people in the world. 2.5%. If you make $33,000 or more, you are in the top 1% of the wealthiest people in the world. The wealthiest people in the world. So when Jesus said how difficult it is for wealthy people to get into the kingdom, he was talking to us. Because let's just be honest, as Americans, we, buy, we live so comfortably. We live so comfortably. So why is it more difficult to enter the kingdom of heaven if you're, if you're wealthy? And let me deconstruct a lie real quick. It's not because poor people are more spiritual than rich people. Biblically, that's not the case. Because what we find all throughout scripture is that every single person regardless of your socioeconomic status, has all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We have all have a past that we regret. Everyone has rebelled against Jesus. But it's more difficult because riches, like nothing else, cater to the lie that we don't need saving. We don't need a Savior. We don't need a cross. We don't need help. We don't have sins. We just have flaws, Right? We don't have issues, we just have bad childhoods. We don't need savings. Riches can give you a comfortable world where you see your sins less and less. And as you gain more wealth, you begin to confuse your circumstances with your character. So let me give you an example. When we go for a few hours without food, we think we're going to die. Like four hours, my wife calls it hangry. <laughs> It's like hungry and angry. They had a baby and angry. Call it hangry. And in pregnancy, she gets hangry a lot. <laughs> so it's one of those things we've had, many, I'm not kidding, and she, she can attest to this. We've had many times where we go out on a date and we're driving, and, she, and I'm like, babe, where do you want to go eat? You know the, you know the whole scenario. Like, where do you want to go eat? I don't know. I don't care. You pick. So I'll pick a place, we've got like an hour drive to get there, we're maybe driving to Lafayette or something, and then you get stuck in traffic. And then it gets to the point where like, it's like beyond hangry, I don't have a word for it. <laughs> it's angry, <laughs> like I need to eat now. And, and like we've had dates, instead of going to some nice restaurant, we're eating at McDonald's because it's quick, she was hungry, you know. When we go for a few hours without food, we become angry, we become irritable, yet we're so rich we don't really know what hunger's like. Because when we're hungry, what do we do? We drive to a place and we get something to eat. Like even, I'll be honest with you, even if you don't have means or access to food, we live in a place where if you can humble yourself, you can knock on the door and you can still get food. We've got churches, we've got nonprofit organizations, we've got people that just genuinely love people. You go to a place like Indonesia, there is nothing like that. It's like your food is what you find in the trash dump. See, we're, we're so wealthy, we don't really know what hunger is. The stressful situation of not being able to eat 
quickly gets resolved by filling our food, by filling our belly with food, right? When in reality, the reason that we're patient and nice and calm is because we're well fed. It's because we're well fed. Riches cater to us and they push away our real needs. So when we don't feel like we need saving, we don't go to Jesus. We have everything pretty much figured out, so we push our sins to the side. For me, I've had the privilege um, to travel all over. And I've seen some pretty cool places. Remember, um, at one time I was in Wyoming and I got stuck there in a snowstorm in the middle of the Teton Mountains. and Just one of the most gorgeous places on earth. And it's not sinful to vacation here. It's not sinful to go to these places. But we have to keep in mind that these places, if we're not careful, and I know all of us in the summer, we go on vacations, we do things, and if we're not careful, these things can be spiritually dangerous. My wife and I have to guard our heart every time we go on a vacation because ultimately you go and you save all year or all, however long to go on this vacation, and then you go, and then you have to remind yourself, like, hold on, this isn't real life. I don't really have this kind of money to keep blowing over and over and over. Just a one-time deal. But not once have I seen those beautiful places and thought I needed to repent of my sins. Ever. I've marveled at them. I've even thanked God for them. But I've never felt needy for a Savior because of them. In those moments, honestly, when I'm on vacation, I think I'm doing pretty well. And I think that I deserve this because I've worked hard. In those moments, we don't run to Jesus because we're comfortable. In those moments, if we're not careful, we have no need. Like, life is good. Kids are playing. Marriage is doing good. We're at a beautiful place. Life is good, right? We don't see our need for God because we are seeing our difficulties. Because we aren't seeing our difficulties and our circumstances. We don't get to know God as our Father through a beautiful sunset or an amazing meal. You can't know something about Him and learn about His character through these things. You can sit at a beautiful sunset and marvel at God. You can learn what He's about and what He creates. And you can say, God, thank you for doing this. But you can't know Him as Father through these things. The only way we can know God as our Father is looking at a blood-stained cross and saying, and this is what we all have to grapple with, I deserve that. I deserve that. You know, I know that this, in, in church, this can be like an, an overused phrase, but there's nothing more true than this. And let me walk you through just how, kind of what my morning every Sunday goes, what it's kind of like. So every morning I wake up really early, get out of bed, and I'm one of those people, I've got to take a shower. Because if I don't take a shower, like, I'm not getting up. I, like, something just hit me in the face because I have a hard time waking up in the morning. Take a shower, get dressed, and then I leave. I drive, come sit in a parking lot, um, probably early in the morning. I read through, I pray, I seek Jesus, and instantly this is what happens. I begin to think of all the reasons that I'm not qualified to do what God has called me to do. Like, all these distractions begin to flood my mind. And the only thing that keeps me going 
is simply me constantly remembering that I had a God that paid for my sins even when I didn't deserve it. And here's what generosity does. It continually reminds us that we need a Savior. It continually reminds us that Jesus gave absolutely everything for us. So it's the reason that we become a generous people. It's the reason that we give back. Listen, it's high stakes, not just for the people around you, but for you and your own soul. To constantly remind ourselves that everything we have, regardless of how hard you've worked in this life, is a product of God being gracious to you. Everything you have is given to you by a gracious, loving Jesus. The only way we can know God as our Father is receiving His righteousness, what He worked for, and admitting that we didn't earn anything. This is what I love about the gospel. He did it all. So if you're in here this morning and you don't know Jesus, here's what you have to do. God, I trust you, and I want to know you. I repent of my sins, and I want to believe in you. Done. It's that simple. And, and we sit here and we go, no, 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 no. It, it can't be that simple. It's that simple. It's that, listen, it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing. It, it, it doesn't mean that, you know, and I'm not even going to go down that list. There's all these things that as a church, that sometimes people put in this label on us, well, well, you're not really saved because, you know, you didn't really get saved at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. And Jesus only saves people at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. Well, you're not saved. Well, did they dunk you or did they sprinkle you? I mean, I don't know. You're not really saved. Uh, my response to that is there's a guy. He's about to die. He's on the cross. He looks at, Jesus looks at him and says, listen, you want to be in paradise with me today? Yes, I do. Okay, good. You're going to be with me. There was nothing to it. The dude didn't get baptized, he didn't speak, nothing happened. I believe in Jesus, I trust in you. Oh. Now listen, uh, this doesn't let you off the hook. It doesn't mean you can pray the prayer and then just go, alright, sweet, now I can do whatever I want. We know if we do and we continue to do whatever we want, we know that it's not real, that we really don't know Jesus. Because if you really know Jesus, you're going to do everything that you possibly can to serve him, to love him. You're in such a state of awe that a God, the God of the universe came in and he took your filth, your wretchedness, your undeservingness, your unfaithfulness and said, you know what, I'll pay for that. I'll pay for that. The thing that keeps me going is that, yes, I can look at my faults, I can look at my shortcomings, I can look at all these people, all these things <laughs> that I've done. I can have much regret have to realize, God, you paid for that. God, you paid for that. And out of that, it makes me want to be generous. It makes me want to be generous. So here's the flip side. We talked about this last week. There's always two sides of the coin. On one side, we see riches as dangerous. And I just spent a lot of time on that, right? But on the other side, if you've got it, there's much more potential for joy. So yes, they are dangerous, but if God's blessed you with a lot, then you have a huge opportunity for joy as you give it away. As you give it away. 
Acts 20.35 says this, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of Lord Jesus. How he himself said, It is more blessed to give than receive. And this theory is tested every single year at my house for Christmas. I remember being a little kid, waking up in the morning, seeing all the presents out in the tree, and being like, man, this is awesome. And now, like, when you get older, nobody gives you gifts anymore. <laughs> you know, it's like you're not waking up going, where's my presents? On Christmas, what are you going to do? You're going to sit down, you're going to drink a cup of coffee, and you're going to see your kids go crazy, and the joy, and the laughter, and all these things. My wife and I are filled with joy. Why? Not because we received anything, because we gave away. And you see that joy. You see that excitement. So here's the truth. If it is better to give than to receive, then your money just became an incredible tool for joy. Your money just became an incredible tool for joy. Here's the truth. Money is not inherently evil. It's actually morally neutral. Money itself is not evil. It's what it does in our hearts. It's what it does in our hearts. Money can be a tool for joy, but only as long as we continue to be generous with it. So you know the reason it's so, it's so important for us as Christians to be generous? Because it constantly keeps us in reminder, one, that God has done everything, and he's given everything for us. And then two, it's a way that we constantly <laughs> keep that pollution out of our hearts. You know, it's a blessing for my wife and I to give to this church. I have the joy of giving 10% of everything that I make to this church. The only reason we do it is, one, because Jesus has been generous, and then two, we really believe in this church. We really believe in what God is doing here. Through being a part of this church and giving to it, I get to be a part of things that I never thought possible. Truth is, so many people who were running from Jesus eight months ago now know Jesus. So many people that were lost and depressed are now being healed through that. So many people who have not walked in church for years are now sitting in these seats. That's the reason I give. That's the reason I choose to be generous because I have an opportunity to play a part in what God's doing. You know, before we started this church, I knew Jesus. I loved Jesus. But I can honestly say from eight and a half months now, I know Jesus much more than I ever have. Than I ever have. His power, his faithfulness, his graciousness has been poured out on me, on this church, and ultimately my greatest desire is that you would be able to experience the same thing. So here's the reason that, that we're generous. It's because there's people that are going to walk through these doors who don't have anything figured out. And we have an opportunity to constantly give back 
to what God is doing here in this place and all around our community. We have an opportunity to make a difference in people's lives. Ultimately, it's a joy for all of us to take part in that, for all of us to give to a local church. And I believe that every believer should have that joy. We get to invest in God advancing his people, his kingdom, and uniting us to Christ, his church. Here's the truth. I know that this can be overwhelming, right? Like as we talk about this, as we talk about money, as we talk about finances, as we talk about being generous, all of us like automatically begin to create this list of all the reasons of why we can't. Or we begin to create all the reasons of how many times we've failed, and if we try again, it's just not going to work. But stewarding our finances for the glory of God is a lifetime endeavor. It's not something that you're going to change overnight. It's, it's a lifestyle that we choose to live. It's a day-by-day -day process that we say, okay, God, I know that I've made some mistakes, and I'm here right now, and you know where I want to be, and that's okay. As you do this and as, as you begin to evaluate things, you're going to look at things and you're going to look at stuff and go, man, I need to repent. I need to ask for forgiveness of certain areas of my life where I've just not stewarded my finances well. But here's the deal. It's not about the amount. It's about the heart. It's not about the amount. It's about the heart. Here's what I want to encourage you to do this morning as we wrap this up. Start somewhere. And here's the truth. Don't think you're going to be generous in the future. You're not. You're not. It, moms, you'll understand this. Ever like tell your kid to go pick up the room? I'll get to it in five minutes. No, he won't. <laughs> He's not. He's not going to clean it up. You're like, no, you're going to get to it right now. Go clean your room. Why? Because we know that if we don't tell them to do it and we don't oversee it and we don't overlook it, it's not going to happen. Why? Because Pokemon takes the most importance in that moment, right? Start somewhere. This is what 2 Corinthians tells us to do, 9-7. Each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So here's the process that has to take place. Allow God to be God and allow God to begin to do things on your heart. It starts somewhere. Because here's the truth. When we choose to give, we're choosing to follow Christ into the destination of joy. Like when we give and we become a generous people, we get joy. Here's the question that we need to ask ourselves. What do I need to do? And ask God, give me wisdom as to how I should give. And I want God to be my God and not money. Because listen, money can buy you a false sense of security right now. And that security can last for 10, 15 years sometimes. But there is going to be a day when it will not satisfy you. Money is an awful God bring you happiness, the problem is it's got to, you've got to keep having more to achieve it and to attain it. He 
Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So when Jesus came, he just kept giving himself away. He came and he led us by giving his time, his energy, his money, his possessions. He founded our faith. And what he did on the cross for our sins, he gave us an example of generosity and he did it for joy. He is our example. Listen, that's why we have to do it. That's why we have to start somewhere. That's why we have to be a generous people. We see our Jesus and how he's loved us, right? Without conditions. And we want to go where he's going and we want to follow him into joy. So here's what I want to do real quick. There's many of us in here that are saying, you know what, this is just too much. You're asking too much. And here's what I would ask you to do. Flip it, flip it around. And it's not me asking you something, to do something. I'm not trying to coax you or twist your arm to do anything. I want you to come to a place where you say, God, what do you want me to do? And remember, this is a lifestyle of generosity. It's not just about giving to a local church. It's about when you get out of these doors that you begin to live a life that is generous and people know, people know that you're not just another Christian that says you believe in Jesus but don't support it with your actions. Man, when you leave the tip at the restaurant, that speaks highly of what you believe. When you've got somebody who's got nothing and you take them into your house, is it risky? Yes, but it's like Jesus. Jesus has not called us to a life that is comfortable. We'll do that in heaven. We'll do that in heaven. Look, there's too much at stake here. There's too much at stake. One of the things that bothered me when I came to this city was simply this. is So many people said, why are you starting a church here? It can't be done. Simply by saying, man, Crowley, there's this, and you know how bad it is, and da-da-da, we've got people on Crowley, we've got all this stuff, great, it's why we need a church. And the truth is, if everybody on a Sunday woke up and decided to go to their church, there would not be enough seats in town at all the other great churches in town. Listen, I said this the first weekend we started this series. We are here not to just be another church in town. It's going to last 10, 15, 20 years. We are here to make an impact on this community. And the way that we do that is by backing it up with what we believe. We become generous people. We become generous people. We begin to, even though it may be scary, even though it may be something that we're uncomfortable with, we begin to allow God to do surgery on our hearts and say, okay, God, I'm here. Do whatever you need, need to do. And we step into the unknown. You know, some of you walked through these doors for the first time, and it was culture shock for you, right? 
didn't know, you're like, the music kicks off, and you're like, what, what is going on here? Like, I don't know what to do. Like, should I do this, or should I just stand there? Or, I don't know what's going on. So that's okay. Ultimately, all we want is for you to know Jesus. And for you to be able to do that, you got to come in here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and say, you know what, God, I'm going to choose to listen to your word, allow the Holy Spirit to convict you, and then actually make a decision to change something. <coughs> it's one thing to hear a sermon and go, yeah, yeah, that's good. Great. What are we going to do about it? Absolutely nothing. We're going to go eat a hot dog. <laughs> that's on it. Listen, if we could understand as a church, because listen, in Louisiana, we love our culture, right? Church is just not an event. It's not a thing we do on Sunday with our families. It's not a place that we go and when we listen to a message, we listen to music, and then we go eat, and then we all take a nap, right? Listen, we are the hope of the world. There's no plan B. This is it. We're the hope of the world. And God is calling you to be a part of this process. Listen, we're going to see this city transformed and turned upside down for Jesus. You're going to be a part of it. And you say, oh, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. You're going to be a part of it. We had a bunch of people sitting down in the living room before we planted this church and talking about what this church would look like and dreaming and praying for you guys. I said, you guys are going to be part of this church and you're going to serve. No, I'm not. Uh, it's too scary. I don't know what to do. What if I don't know the answers? I don't have all the answers to all the questions that are going on. Jesus is going to meet you. And he did. He did. He was faithful. Start somewhere. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we know that what you're asking of us difficult to be scary God to jump out into deep waters but God we know that you're going to be there with us God we thank you for being a generous 